Welcome to Starkey Soundbites. I'm your host, Dave Fabry, Starkey's Chief Innovation Officer. Our guest today is Tracy Markley. Not only is she an advocate for people with hearing loss and a longtime user of Starkey hearing aids, she's also an award-winning fitness specialist, author, and educator specializing in restorative and functional fitness. She joins us from her Pilates and yoga studio in Long Beach, California via Zoom. Tracy, thank you for joining us on Starkey Soundbites. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's great. And I, I, I can see some of the equipment in the, in the background. My wife is trying to make me an advocate for Pilates. She's been a longtime uh, beneficiary of Pilates due to uh, some uh, neck fusion. She's had a couple of uh, uh, fused uh, discs, and, and Pilates are about the only thing that she can do uh, and really stick to and improve her flexibility and mobility. Yeah, Pilates, you have to train deeper. Yeah. It's not just a weekend certificate. You have to get more education and knowledge. And so you get, it's almost like physical therapy. So listen yeah. to her. You should go. Yeah, <laughs> I, I am. I'm, I'm trying. So I'm, I'm working on it. But, uh, well, first things <laughs> first, let's talk a little bit about yourself in terms of what interested you in becoming a fitness specialist. And then also, was there a, a specific catalyst? I mean, a lot of times on this on, on this podcast, we'll talk about what got people interested in hearing or balance or the areas that that we as a profession uh, are, are passionate about. What what made you passionate about a fitness specialist? And was there a catalyst that sent you in that direction? Well, when I was, I, I always liked to exercise, but I wasn't like I wasn't a gym goer. I just I, th I thought exercising felt good, and whenever I went through a hard time or I was sad or I felt like I was getting blue, exercise made me feel better. Mm -hmm. And then um, I used to always do Tammy Lee Webb and Kathy Smith videos and some other ones too, but they're like the big ones I did, and they made me want to do it. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to become a fitness per professional, and but at that time, you buy a manual about this thick. Hmm. I made my fingers about three inches mm -hmm. thick. You read it and go take a test. I'm like, I can't learn to do that. Yeah. So there's a local college that had a two-year fitness specialist program. So I took that, and um, right before I graduated, I got a call from someone who wanted to sell her business. She was renting a space from a chiropractor, so I just kind of got into it. Some of her clients stayed with me, but when I was, but I was also working full time in a pediatric office. So okay. I did that both for a while. But anyway, so her clients that stayed me, and then the new clients I started getting, they had arthritis, bounce issues, back issues, fibromyalgia, all these diseases, half of them I never heard of, lupus and things I didn't mm -hmm. know at the time. So I started studying deeper because I thought, well, how can I train someone if I don't know this stuff? Right. So I started just advancing out. Mm -hmm. um, so I've got certificates in osteoporosis, fibromyalgia, arthritis, and just furthering mm. things. And that just got me to be kind of known as a physical therapist type. Mm-hmm trainer. Mm -hmm. Then as time went along, I was in California for like 17 years, moved to Oregon, and I was in a senior community. I went there to live with my mom and stepdad. Mm -hmm. And um, I started getting more seniors and stroke survivors. And the knowledge and work I did worked perfect for them. And so I started getting in just being known as strokes, you know, recovery and everything. And I've written some books on it. And, um, and that leads into balance stability, fall prevention, which also the hearing goes into that too. Exactly. A lot of yeah. those things that you mentioned where you're specializing in your op occupation also have high comorbidity with hearing loss. Uh, many of those conditions also come along. Hearing loss doesn't occur in a vacuum. 
and, uh, and yeah. as you know, and, and in many of those conditions, there are also increased risk of hearing loss if you have one or more of those conditions. And let's yeah. talk a little bit about that segue into your hearing loss and your hearing loss journey. When, when did you acquire a hearing loss? And talk a little bit about um, that if you don't mind sharing. Oh, I don't mind at all. So I didn't really realize I had a hearing loss till I was in my 20s or 30s. Mm-hmm. Um, but when, when I was younger, I, I did have hearing inf- ear, ear infections a lot. I remember that. In the mm-hmm. old days, the 70s, always put what, drops in your ears yeah. and all that kind of stuff. I don't really do that anymore. Yeah. And, um, but I remember when I was three, I had to get my adenoids out. Okay. And when... And I learned as I got older, most kids, you had the adenoids, I could be wrong, this is my knowledge, the mm-hmm. adenoids sits on the tonsils, so they took them both out. Well, they mm-hmm. didn't with me. They took out the adenoids, and I had to go to speech school and learn to talk again. Mm-hmm. I never understood why. And then about a year or so later, I got my tonsils out. And all I was just teased by my brothers and stuff, saying I say words wrong. Mm-hmm. They would say, I, instead of saying my brother Stephen, they said I said Theo. Mm-hmm. Instead of saying the word yes, they said I said a bad word. <laughs> and they just laugh when I ask them. So I don't really know the truth of yeah. it all. Yeah. And I remember in third grade, I was having a hard time comprehending and reading. Like the teacher would read something and then she'd give us questions and answered. And I'm like, she didn't say any of that. So when the teachers talked to me, she would just say, oh, honey, it's because your parents are divorced. Okay. Then I went into tutors and I called it dummy reading in English. And then I was always kind of having a hard time in English and reading. And, um, but if I had a really good teacher, it wasn't as hard. She was a good teacher, but as I got older, I realized she might, she might've been speaking in all the tones mm-hmm. that my hearing loss and then mm-hmm. nobody was paying attention. I had a hearing loss. So, um, as time moves on, here I am married, I've stepkids and they're like, you need hearing aids. <laughs> so I went and got my hearing checked mm-hmm. and, um, I needed hearing aids and then I, Pretty much warm ever since. I, I faded off of them for about a year and a half when one wasn't working. Okay. And then I had to kind of go through the phase of what you go through and you get new hearing aids again. But each time I get a new pair of hearing aids, they're so more advanced. Yeah. So, and my last pair before these I have now, I have the Starkey of all the AI now. I've okay. had another pair of Starkey. Okay. That hearing aid, the professional I was in Oregon thinks that was the first time I ever started hearing the letter S. Like wow. Sound. Wow. That's awesome. He thinks I've, they've all just thought I've been really good at reading lips. Hmm. Well, so for you, like the first two weeks, it sounded like everyone was going when they talked, but they really weren't. But that's what my brain, could your brain adjust to it? Yes. The neuroplasticity and stuff. So my brain kept hearing long S's, but nobody was saying that. Then it, then it sounded normal and yeah. Yeah. I mean, not unlike uh, physical activity, it takes a while to acclimatize to hearing those sounds differently. And even after you've worn hearing aids for a long time, if these latest pair, the Evolve AIs, have been providing more high frequencies uh, to audibility, um, it takes a little while to adjust to it. It does. And when I was learning that, but my, the audiologist person that helped me in Oregon I learned so much from it. I got fascinated with it. Mm-hmm. So I started thinking, God, my brain never heard this down. It's adjusting. And I get dizzy a little bit, and just mm-hmm. adjusting. And I like was real aware of it all. But also, I work with it so much with my clients. I'm aware of their neuro issues because of stroke recovery and everything. But I was, you know, well, first, feeling it myself. Yeah. And, and one thing I have to ask, given that you raise that you, you uh, clearly you, you exercise every day and you're working with your clients. Do you use the physical activity feature on the Evolve AI devices in the user app, in the Thrive app? 
I did sometimes, but no, not all the time. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I guess you probably know um, when you're getting enough activity programmed throughout the day, you know, in terms of the steps and that whether you're standing for a requisite number of minutes every hour and whether you're exercising, you probably blow those out of the water. But one of the things, maybe. <laughs> you know, maybe, but, but in light of the issues that we talked about with comorbidity with other health conditions, we know cardiovascular fitness and, um, and hearing loss are very closely aligned. People with um, hearing loss in many cases have associated elevated risk of stroke, of uh, high blood pressure, uh, of uh, a number of diabetes, elevated risk and comorbidity. And so that's where we find that by incorporating sensors in Evolve AI, which was in a continuation of what we began back with Livio in 2018, um, encourage people to be more physically active because we say hear better, live better. And that really does sort of segue into some of the clients that you've worked with um, maybe recovering from some of the conditions that they had or, or as you're working with them that also had associated hearing loss. Can you talk a little bit about that or are there any specific clients that have given you permission to sort of talk about uh, their journey with you? Yeah, they're, they're fine with that. Um, so I've had, well, the visual too, you know, the visual makes the mm -hmm. difference and how the brain Huge. works at all. Huge. But I've had clients, you know, many of my clients are stroke recovery or stroke survivors and stroke survivors, they do have a hearing loss. Yes. Their hearing was, their, their visual per, um, peripheral visions mm -hmm. affected, you know, mm -hmm. all these different things. And, um, but, and like when I'm working with people that are seniors, well, some people have mini strokes, some people have big strokes, mm -hmm. but either way, it does affect their brain and it affects their balance. And my clients who don't wear hearing aids, they have a harder time, if they're in that condition, they have a mm -hmm. harder time with their balance. And the ones that wear hearing aids that forget them sometimes, they have a hard time balancing when I'm with them. So I have this one man who's 80. Well, I don't have him anymore. He's my working client. Mm -hmm. We trained for about eight years together. He's 83 or 82, I think. He would mm -hmm. walk across both two balls. He was very good in shape. Mm -hmm. um, so he some days he'd come and he'd stand on the both ball and he wouldn't be balancing so well. i go, did you forget your hearing aids? Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but it took me a few times to put that together. Mm-hmm. And I had this other man who, um, you know, because not wearing hearing aids is, is I'm, I assume I'm right. Um, my studies have showed you can be more prone to getting dementia if you don't wear your hearing aids as you, you're aging. So some of my male clients who are older, but their wives tell me to get hearing aids and they are like, don't want to wear them. Once they train with me and I tell them that, they go get their hearing aids and their wives are like, how'd you get them to get them? I've been telling them for five years. I'm like, mm -hmm. I just mentioned dementia and they go out and get them quickly. You know, that's really uh, an important point. And we think, you know, my parents who were uh, more from the traditional generation were concerned about cancer and cardiovascular disease, but among baby boomers in particular, we're seeing, but, but even among those traditional generation, the 80 year olds that you're mentioning, I mean, we've all um, had family members uh, who've suffered from dementia and cognitive decline, or we uh, maybe are seeing a little bit of that in ourselves as we get older. Um, and there's nothing that really will get a baby boomer uh, attention faster than start talking about the impact of untreated hearing loss and those delays. And we know it's often a five to seven year period of time from the time someone thinks they may have a hearing loss until they act on it. 
Uh, and it's often the case that um, primary care physicians will say, mm, don't worry about it. You know, hearing often is, a, aging is often accompanied by hearing loss and, and just your, nor your hearing uh, is normal for your age uh, is a, a, a statement I frequently uh, have heard from patients when they yeah. inquired about hearing aids with uh, a physician in, in that routine care. And, and we really think that it's so essential to hear better, live better, to shorten that delay from the time that um, you think you have a loss until you move into action. But I think the other point you raise is, uh, the statement has been said, you're never a prophet in your own land. And spouses, I think, um, often are frustrated in that they may say the same thing and they've been saying it for years, yeah. but until someone else sort of points it out and, and brings it into the discussion, whether it's hearing and hearing and balance and, and the use of, of hearing aids uh, and that link to really keeping as sharp mentally as possible is so important. Yeah. And another thing I noticed with hearing aids, I, I like my hearing aids with batteries. I don't want to charge them. I like mm -hmm. changing my batteries mm -hmm. wherever I can be. Mm -hmm. But now that they have hearing aids that can be recharged, that's good because that really helps people that are older or maybe one of their hands don't work well or thrives yes. or something because they don't have to do things with the batteries. They just have to put them in. And I thought that was really good. That helps. When I say something to some of the older people, that that helps too. For because, sure, you know anything helpful. that helps the ease of use. What they have arthritis or neuropathy, or and especially mm -hmm. stroke victims, uh, and, and people with stroke who've yeah, let me think that again. Especially those individuals who've had a stroke may often have neuropathies associated with it or manual dexterity issues and complications after their stroke that uh, the rechargeable batteries really do serve as a, an important component uh, for really ease does, of use. Yeah. yeah, when I had a client, he did pass away though. My very first book was um, Dear, Dear Stroke, You Suck, A Journey of a Fitness Trainer hmm. and Strokes Whatever. He hmm. wanted his story shared. Hmm. And so, but he passed away before the story came out. He had to get hmm. a heart surgery and there was actually an error was made. Hmm. He, he was something he should have came through. So it was kind of sad. I trained him for almost four years. Anyway, he had, you know, he couldn't feel cold or hot on his hand. Yeah. But he never told me that. Hmm. But he was very aware. He was very aware of um, spatial awareness and stuff. I'll have to tell you one of those stories. But anyway, so he was, using, he was way, way advanced now. I met him in a walker, but this was a year or so later. Mm -hmm. He's doing like a plank position with a BOSU ball upside down, holding the plastic, you know, the side of the BOSU ball. Mm -hmm. And he goes, oh my God, I can feel the ball. I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, well, I never felt it before. He goes, I knew my hand was on it, hmm. but I never felt it. So we got up, went to the, the refrigerator. I gave him cold water and he felt the cold water. So right in front of me, he got his senses back of his cotton cold in his hand. He was amazing to train. Get all wow. kinds of things like that. Wow. <laughs> Well, I'm sorry that he passed before he got to yeah. see his uh, story published. I mean, yeah. talking a little bit about um, the, the, the patients that you've worked with who have had strokes, um, I think a lot of maybe, you know, a lot of the people that are going to be listening to this podcast are audiologists and hearing instrument specialists. And maybe let's segue a little bit into some guidance that you might have for them in terms of thinking about the hearing as one component of the overall patient, particularly those who've suffered a stroke. And, and one thing that some professionals may or may not be aware of in the literature is that um, people who have a sudden onset of their hearing loss 
are at an elevated risk of stroke, partly due to you know the concern over restricted blood flow that can cause a sudden drop in their hearing, but it elevates the risk of a stroke by 1.6, 1.7 times. So nearly double the risk. I didn't know that. Yeah, and, and it's particularly those who have a sudden drop in their hearing. So one risk factor, according to the literature, should be that that sudden onset hearing loss um, might, it might be important for them to seek help from their physician, from their cardiologist or their primary care physician, to see if there are any risks associated with that uh, causality, if you will, between the drop in hearing and the yeah. potential risk of a stroke. But um, uh, Could that also mean they had a mini stroke and didn't know it? You know, it's entirely possible. I haven't found any studies that have suggested that, that it might have been a precursor, a mini stroke, or a precursor to the larger stroke. But, um, but certainly we've seen raised awareness in the literature for that importance, in particular for individuals who suffer either a one-sided or, or bilateral uh, sudden onset hearing loss, that, uh, that it is accompanied by an elevated risk by uh, 1.64 times over those individuals who haven't had that sudden drop in hearing of a stroke. Well, that's good for me to learn that. I always know the other side of it, what happens after. Yeah, and so let's talk a little bit about that in terms of some of the differences between expressive and receptive communication um, and how uh, that impacts uh, the individual. Well, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, some of them get aphasia mm -hmm. and they can't speak well. <clears throat> I had a client who, it was they came from New Jersey in their 80s to Florence, Oregon, 3,000 miles away to train with me because they wow. actually were getting um, professionals that didn't have education. That's what made me write some of my books. I'm like, mm -hmm. how are they pretending? So anyway, they actually flew. They lived for a month in a small town to train me. I was just, I can't even say. It was excited, sad yeah. for them. Yeah. It was like amazing, you know, all this stuff. Anyway, well, he had aphasia mm -hmm. and he couldn't speak words. He can say yes or no, <clears throat> but he said them backwards. But I could tell after a day or two being around him by his eyeballs, what he meant. <laughs> so he might say yes, he meant no. Mm -hmm. But if we sang a song, he could sing all the words. Mm -hmm. So he can sing the happy birthday song like mm -hmm. nothing. My dog used to train with us. He used to sing happy birthday. So we would sing. He would Your sing dog sang happy purposely. birthday or he sang he happy would, birthday to the dog? Howl it. Okay. He oh, that's hilarious. Okay. But the person would sing the words okay. completely clear. Yeah, my dog was very special. He used to work <laughs> with me. He passed too. Um, anyway, so... That's one communication thing that happens after stroke. He, yeah. I, I don't know how that affects his, his hearing because I couldn't really discuss it with him. Mm -hmm. yeah, I don't right. know how aphasia affects hearing, but I know verbally they can't get it out. Right. But it was interesting how the brain works and it can sing, but it can't speak. Yeah, that, that temporal pattern, the rhythm from singing often is an assist. I mean, one of, one of my best friends and longest friends my, uh, from freshman year in college unfortunately suffered a stroke at the age of 47. It's now 15 years later. Um, you know, a lot of times people think this is only an affliction of the elderly, but uh, out of the blue, um, he suffered this stroke. And he talked about the fact that uh, while he saw recovery quickly within the first couple weeks to what he guessed was about 80% of where he was before he had the stroke, then it took another six months before he got up to 95%. And that was really through working with oral rehabilitation, working with both an audiologist 
who um, was ensuring that um, hearing uh, was uh, up to snuff, and it was, and then a speech-language pathologist working in collaboration uh, to provide the oral rehabilitation. Took him. So he had good care. He had really good care, but... A lot of them don't. You know, and, really but even good. in the good care that he had, and he got up after about a year, he got up to about 95% of where he wanted to be, but then his insurance benefit ran out, and so he said subsequently... He has seen some regression um, back to maybe 80, 85 percent. And, and so it would be interesting to see if from an insurance benefit staying with it, he, he often wonders, you know, how he could get back up to that level again. And obviously you can go through the training and uh, but but the insurance to really raise awareness for the importance of that oral rehabilitative component and working exactly. on expressive and receptive because like you said the expressive and the receptive are both critical that uh, person with aphasia um, he he said my friend said that you know he could understand what was being said to him but he couldn't come up with the words to be able to uh, get the language out and to get yeah. the words out to to let people know um, uh, what he was uh, able to comprehend during those early stages and plus, well, two things. One, well, my second book is Stroke Recovery. What now? Okay. When you cut, when you recovery, your when your insurance. What's the name of it? Your insurance in that your recovery continues. Because mm -hmm. basically, they only give you so much insurance benefit. Right. And a lot of stroke. Well, this is a lot of diseases too. But a lot of stroke survivors just feel, oh, my therapy's over. They said they can't help me anymore. Therefore, there's no more advancement to make. Well, that's not true. Right. I mean, in some cases, possibly, it depends on their brain. But in most cases, if they keep going, you know, they may eight months have something happen a year. I mean, I've trained people three, four years after, and they're still making progress. You know, the brain has a lot to do with it, but it also having someone with the knowledge around them. Because some, like in any, in any profession you take your basic stuff like you can you know i used to do hair you get your mm -hmm. license but if you want to do better in hair and perms you go take advanced color you take advanced stuff sure well just like a personal trainer or doctors or physical therapist if you just get the basic you have to go specialize in something mm -hmm. so there's a lot of physical therapists that don't go to the specialty so they just do the same things with every stroke survivor and it doesn't work for all of them and no, so and, not and, like a, it's not a cookie cutter healing. Yeah, I mean, we really and that'll resonate, I think, with a lot of the audiologists and hearing instrument specialists listening here is that it's not simply a matter. Every hearing loss isn't the same because you're not just testing two ears. You're testing an entire person and evaluating what sorts of fears and concerns and expectations that they have for where they're going to benefit. And I think that's whether it's physical therapy or whether it's uh, audiology. Um, you're still trying to understand the person and their unique uh, uh, combination of lifestyle and hearing loss and symptoms and family support exactly. that factors in. And you can't treat it like a cookie-cutter method. Not at all. And plus, the other thing, I, I brought up spatial awareness. So mm -hmm. you have proprioception and spatial awareness. Yep. And, 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 you know, they work, work together, but they're a little different. Basically, it's your your brain and body awareness of your surroundings and what's coming up in here and so my one client that was in my first book, he, he, he was just, I learned so much with him. He was just aware of everything. So I never actually explained to him what spatial awareness was, hmm. but he was standing on a balance disc, which oh, I, things happen on the balance disc that when your central, your central nervous system stimulated, I saw people, they can speak quicker. They can read better. They were able to see the colors better. I held in front of them. Hmm. And I always wanted an audiologist to 
test somebody's hearing on a balance disc and see if it's different. Hmm. I haven't got anyone to do it yet. Anyway, so we were, he was standing on the balance disc and he goes, oh, I got to tell you something. So he got off and this is what he said. He goes, okay, I know there, I know there's cars on the street. I know someone's working out in the gym next to me, but I don't feel them in my space. Hmm. So he basically just says, I don't have spatial awareness. Yeah. And he did have a little bit of peripheral loss on one side, whatever side he was on. Mm-hmm. And and I know his hearing was affected because he didn't know someone was in this space until they showed up right here. Wow. He didn't. He doesn't hear them. He didn't right. feel them in his space. Then maybe about a year working with him, he goes, you know what? I feel like my whole world just went out to here. Wow. Like he got it all back. So he, you can the further people keep working it's a, you don't know what's coming back next it's not like step one to six in order it's like that your finger may come back you're hearing you don't know what's happening so you just keep doing stuff right i mean the brain is such a remarkable engine and, and the most um, <laughs> comprehensive computer that exists on the planet and when you think about with a stroke with damage to one or more regions in the brain as you say it can manifest itself in terms of hearing damage and associated vision and then balance and proprioception and spatial awareness and you don't know they they may all recover at different rates and respond to different forms of treatment as you said again that cookie cutter method doesn't apply uh, the same for everybody and and you have to be willing and able to adapt as the patient is starting to recover one thing we find, you know, with, with the importance of involving an audiologist to ensure that hearing thresholds are, you know, where they are, how impaired they are after a stroke in some cases with there's um, blood interruption um, or the specific region in the brain that's been damaged can affect the hearing. And then as you already alluded, can cause aphasia or it can cause receptive or expressive communication difficulties. But then that spatial awareness is really an important one and one that we focus on with non-stroke patients to just ensure that when we're putting hearing aids on both ears, that Mm -hmm. they're serving as sensors to the brain and that they're preserving that ability to not only detect when a sound occurs and where it occurs so that they can use that information and feed that to the brain for those other uh, um, overall system benefits such as balance and, and spatial awareness. And it's full on fall prevention. Yeah. It's safety and fall prevention for people, especially seniors, that they, yeah, if they can't calculate how high to lift a foot or how far to reach an arm or if this sounds here or there, it, they're going to fall down. It's such an important point. And we know that even a mild degree of hearing loss without a stroke, that a mild degree of hearing loss elevates your risk of falling by about three times versus somebody who is the same age group but doesn't have a mild hearing loss. And then as you get more hearing loss, sort of the, 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 the cognitive load, as you say, all of the systems that are going into place to keep you from falling um, become yeah. challenged more. And, uh, and so working, when you think about even uh, independent of the stroke risk, just working with anyone with a hearing loss and aging to preserve that balance function is essential and when you add a stroke into that it makes it even more important and the the training that you're uh, providing them uh, is essential to preventing a fall from occurring because as we know the emotional and economic costs of falling are significant exactly and plus quick reaction time 
if, when you're, you know, you, you're a little cautious and you're hearing what you hear and your movements and you're, and you're slower, or you see older people start shuffling, they're not doing the natural mm -hmm. rotation of the spine where they walk, they start shuffling. Well, now things aren't lined up for good movement, and so the reaction time. So if they need to grab something and not fall, they're behind time. They can't do it quick enough. Absolutely. So it plays into all that as well. Yeah, and, and, and so lot to it. working hand in hand with improving, and again, I'll go back to again that one of those features in Evolve AI that um, you mentioned and, and I mentioned uh, of looking at physical activity, standing and exercising can assist if there are patients you're working with who are recovering from stroke, getting them to uh, adapt and, and modify their targets every day from maybe they start out with 2,000 steps a day and then get to 5,000, then to 10,000. That's adaptable in the user application, the Thrive app, to encourage them to be more physically active as they're undergoing their recovery, trying to stand more. And then we even have a feature, which you may or may not be aware of in your Evolve AI devices that can uh, alert up to three contacts if you're wearing your devices, it'll send them a text if you suffer a fall while you're wearing your hearing aids. Yes, they did know that one. Yeah, and you know, it's so important. We often think, again, in the same way that uh, some people think, well, strokes are only for older people. Falls <laughs> are only for older people. And, and again- That's exactly I, what my hearing professional told me. He goes, don't think because you're in your age that that part doesn't fall in. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, e any age, we've heard many, many stories among professionals and patients alike that didn't fall right in the traditional um, spectrum, if you will, of what p preconceived notions are for fall risks. Yeah. They had a hearing loss and they suffered a fall. And, and having that peace of mind to know that family members or friends or colleagues or professionals can be alerted in the event that they, uh, they suffer a fall. Because we want, uh, and I think this is, comes back again with the physical therapy aspect of this, really having a fall detection feature is great, but the long view is to really try to work to prevent a fall from yes. occurring before it does. And also posture. Mm -hmm. Posture. I know people say core. Well, I've been working with core before, like core became a fad because that's for spine and spine rotation and, you know, preventing back injuries. And then it, you know, came out further. But when your posture's poor, you're rounded over. Mm -hmm. One, you're going to fall more because you're leaning forward. You're not lined up. Your joints won't work as well, your arms and your hips, and you can't have quick reaction time. But also, my studies have shown the more you're in proper posture, the better the brain can communicate to the spinal column because hmm. you're not all rounded mm -hmm. over, which that plays into everything. And I guarantee you everyone important. listening to this podcast or watching you right now is trying to straighten up a little <laughs> bit up. more. And, uh, and but to they're not probably be trying over. to straighten up by throwing their shoulders back, right. not by engaging their core and holding themselves up their center. So the centers, I always describe it like the tree, the tree trunk. If the tree trunk is hollow and kind of weak, mm -hmm. if it's an apple tree, when it starts growing apples, they're going to fall off, the branches will break, the tree can blow over from the wind. But if your core is strong, the branches stay strong, and the wind can blow, it's not going to blow you over. So the core is essential. Mm -hmm. That's like the, the trunk of the body, the trunk of the tree. And and when I work with stroke survivors, the ones that can get their posture better, they're the ones that can get their mm -hmm. arms moving better, they can fix their drop foot better, because you have to balance the shoulders and the hips and it's all. And then the brain, I think, works better if it's not trying so hard to send messages 
in poor posture. I know they don't put that out there, but that's what I see. Well, it is, and they talk about the cognitive load in terms of if you can get your posture under control so that it, you can sort of not have to be so conscious of thinking about it and you just are working with that core uh, or, or that, that, that core strength to keep your posture um, uh, to prevent that risk of falling, then you have more cognitive reserve left over for some of yes. the other essential functions. So it's like you think of when, when you see a baby trying to learn to stand up. It exactly. doesn't just stand up and start walking. It stands, but it's building its core and the, the spatial awareness and the skills of the brain stabilizing before the limbs move. And that's kind of like when people start getting the fall prevention mode. You know, seniors yep. need fall prevention care or stroke survivors or MS or whatever people are struggling with. If the center of the body almost retrains like it did as a kid, mm -hmm. because that's what it knows. Mm -hmm. A lot of people start making them do things. I'm like, you can't squat 50 times and train your core for balance. You're going backwards. It's, it's, you, know, you have to start from the way the brain, the, that's how I train, the way the brain knows, the natural sense of how it develops, mm -hmm. kind of go back to that mode. And, you know, and it seems, I mean, in most cases I work with it, it works that way. And yeah, I think kind of common sense logically. For sure, and 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 I think you provided some important tips in terms of working with stroke patients and the recovery and the need for physical, uh, expressive and and receptive language, um, and uh, that recovery that can't be a cookie cutter method are all really Definitely important not. reminders that serve well for the audiologist and then thinking about the whole patient. Now let's come back to your experience with hearing loss a little bit before we close and I see already the time has just flown by here but um, the one of the things um, we've seen with the transition from hearing aids as standalone devices to those that now use Bluetooth that can be connected directly to a phone um, also enables a connection to accessories like a, a remote microphone. And have you used any of the remote microphones or the table mic or any of the other features beyond the hearing aids the alone? Mic. And tell so us a little bit about your experience with the table mic. Can you, I don't know if you can see my balance bar on the wall. I can. My ba there's a ballet bar, okay. Well, they're up on a, by a rack that's metal. Yep. Well, I have one girl I train who's a stroke survivor, and she's a little bit of aphasia. Mm -hmm. And when she faces the wall, I can't hear her. Sure. I mean, I can't hear her. Her mom's with her to help too, but it's kind of hard to hear. So I took, I don't have it with her, but it's round. I don't, mm -hmm. I, I tried to get mine to have with me, but mm -hmm. I think it's at home right now. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I stuck it on there one day, and I don't know if it's actually very magnetic, but it's stuck up like a no, magnet. No, there's a magnet on it, yes. Okay, well, it stayed there. Mm -hmm. And it made me hear her more, and I thought, well, that's kind of cool. Mm -hmm. So you can use it not just at a table and meeting. So I used it more here because when I've been at um, conference type things, it wasn't really environment for me to use it. But well, it works well, explain for that. that. I mean, I <laughs> as long as you can either put it in a restaurant, put it in the middle of a table, or you mm -hmm. could use it, you could hang it around your neck. There is there is a neck loop that accessory that comes with it that has the magnet that then affixes the table mic to the magnet. So the, 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 the accessory is the magnet and then the table mic attaches to it. Or if that board behind you has a magnet on it, it will yeah. do the same. And you can use it in a, a classroom where you could put it up on the podium uh, or in a place of worship or something like that. You could put it up near the lectern um, to hear that person speaking clearly. But 
Um, I would encourage you to try it even in more situations than you have. Yeah. The, the one you gave, the example of the patient with aphasia who's hanging on to your balance board, but then limiting your ability to lip read them and hear them as clearly yeah. can really help. And they could even um, wear it uh, easily around their, their neck during your session as well so that you could hear them the entire time. And one reason I didn't use it at some of the things I was at, because the hearing aids were working so good, I didn't need it. Well, even better. Because yeah. I could do the, yeah. to the audio. To, I was able to change these. I couldn't do that in my older ones. Mm -hmm. But these, I could like click at the auditorium or you, know, you do the tap, tap, and it goes up. So, but I, I don't, I, so when I was in college, I always sat toward the front of the room, slightly left. I knew I didn't hear well in the left ear, but I didn't think much about it. So I thought it was just quirky because I did really well in classes there. So whenever I go someplace, I'm always there. So I was at a conference in San Francisco in the front row listening mm -hmm. to the speaker, slightly to the left right there. And I heard everything he said, even when he was facing the other direction, because sometimes they pace back and forth, they put their head down, and I don't hear all the words. I didn't miss anything with him. Hmm. So I didn't need the thing. I had it with me because they heard him so well, so I didn't even take it out. Well, yeah, if the hearing aids work alone without the need for the accessory, that's the yeah. best case scenario. But then still having that capability in addition for those yeah. times that are really challenging is great. But I'm, And these I'm, people had very clear voices. There's still those people that, you know, it's like, what? No matter how good you have, yeah. they still mumble or they're, or they're speaking. In t I, don't, I can't understand you. I would pull that up. The speaker was like that. It probably would have been a good time to pull it out. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that your experience has been so positive with this. Now, let's talk uh, in the closing time here. Let's talk about your latest book. What's that one called? My latest book is called I'm Not Stupid. I Have Hearing Loss, a story of hearing loss and hearing aid, mm -hmm. including hearing and brain care tips. Because I always tell my people hearing care is brain care. Absolutely. So your ears are sensors and your brain is where the work is. And so... Um, what's one key take-home message from your book and then that can serve as a catalyst for people to go out and buy it too? I would say one other thing is don't be afraid to wear hearing aids. People don't see them. I mean, yeah. randomly people see them. Mm -hmm. But anyone who noticed my hearing aids are people that know someone with them and they're aware of them. Most people don't notice. Mm -hmm. So if you need hearing aid, don't not get them because you think someone's going to make fun of you or something. I mean, I don't think most people even notice. And the things you can hear. I mean, you if you don't wear your hearing aids when you need them, you'll start staying home more, you'll get isolated, you won't go to certain events. And then also, um, it's good brain care because of what I've been learning and studying and with all my experiences, what the audiologists I talk to teach me all these mm -hmm. years is, because I'm 50, I just turned 57 last week. Mm -hmm. Happy if birthday. I wouldn't have got hearing aids in my early 40s or like 30s, or I got them, thank you, um, and I didn't get them to now, I would probably have some social issues right now. And I may not get some of them back if I got hearing aids right now. I went, I would have gone too long without them. Yes. You know what I'm talking about. I, and you can I absolutely that do. <laughs> and, and, the, and, and the shortening of that delay from that five to seven years or longer. Think about all of the auditory moments you would have missed if you hadn't uh, been able to hear with your hearing aids over that last decade or so. And I, and I, I feel like I'm, I can read and write better. Mm -hmm. That's not, I share that in the book too. So I, like I said, when I'm, I couldn't comprehend very well, unless the teacher's really good and loud and they're in my face. Yeah. Um, 
so I feel like I'm a faster reader, a better reader. And since I've wore, wore hearing aids, I became an author. Yeah. Because when you hear the reading, reading skills play into your hearing skills. No question. No question. As children and everything. Right. Yeah. So it's helped me all around. Well, we thank you very much for sharing. I am going to touch on that last point in terms of the hearing moments that you might have missed in the last decade. One tradition that we have on, on the Soundbites podcast, given that we are focused on auditory moments and how they enhance your life. What are some of your favorite sounds that <laughs> you enjoy listening to, whether it's music or whether it's nature or other human beings? What are some of your favorite auditory moments? I like hearing moments? birds outside the window. Okay. I like hearing birds in the morning. Um, when I first got my hearing aids, I felt I heard the leaves crunching under my feet, which you're loud again, like more nature thing. Mm -hmm. Um, one of the, and a couple of weeks ago, or it was about a month ago, I did, and this is my social media, I made a video on it. I was in my car and an 80s song was on, you know, I graduated class of 83, anyway, so I'm in the car and I'm like, what is this banging noise? It's kind of going to the beat of the music. And then I realized it was the tone in the song that I've never heard before. Yeah. So yeah. I hear music now and it's like, that's what the words are? I've been singing them wrong. So you hear, I hear music better, the words better. But the funniest story was when I first got my first hearing aid, I'm driving home and I put on my blinker and I heard the blinker. Oh, yeah. Th that's that such point, a common one that people will say, for the first time I heard the blinker in the car. Well, I just thought any cars newer than what my parents had and I was a little girl, they didn't make blinker sounds anymore. I just thought it was something the cars didn't have. And yeah. I'm like, my car makes that noise, though. That's, I thought it was like something they made in cars in the 70s, and they stopped. <laughs> that's funny. Nope, they were still there. Your hearing was just changing. And, you know, there's uh, the Hearing Loss Association group has used a, a, the modification of this saying for, for many years, and they say your hearing loss is more conspicuous than your hearing aids. And I think you really embody the generation of hearing aid users now who say, like you said, people don't notice, but even if they do, who cares? I mean, when you think yeah. about all of the the things that you're able to hear and that can enhance your life in so many ways that you'd be missing otherwise, that, that I think, you know, maybe that's a good place for us to end. And um, I'm really appreciative of your sharing the way it is that you're working with um, uh, stroke patients, uh, your personal journey with hearing loss, um, the way that you've shared on social media and also uh, through authoring numerous books that you've mentioned. I encourage people to uh, go and look for um, uh, the latest book, which again, you can, uh, can you say one more time is your latest book? I'm not stupid. I have hearing loss. Yeah. Because if you don't talk well, sometimes people, or, or sometimes we pause longer to process. I think people think we're dumb. It's like, we're not dumb. We just give us a second. Yeah. Slow down. Yeah, slow down. Speak yeah. clearly and uh, and enunciate so well, yeah. Tracy Markley. It's and been let us process it. <laughs> yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak with you here today, and to our listeners, thanks for listening to this latest episode of Starkey Soundbites. If you enjoyed it, please tell your friends about it uh, and tell them they can find it wherever it is on their favorite podcast platform. Um, subscribe so that they're sure not to miss a single episode. And I thank you again for uh, sharing your knowledge with us today. Thank you for having me. I loved it. It's our pleasure. <laughs>